0: Yeah. Okay, if you can turn your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirty one. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirty-one in your Bibles. And we're looking at the sixth presentation on preaching. And this is actually the m- last major one that we'll be looking at. And it's called the delivery, how to make the delivery. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirty one. You have your handouts, right? We're gonna be following out your handouts and then going over the other stuff later also. Okay, we have, you know, you may have a good message and a great message God has called you to, but if you deliver that message at poor, people are going to miss out on that blessing that God has for you, right? So delivery is as important as the message, is is as important. So how you deliver it, how clearly you speak and everything, um, but how can people say amen and they don't know what you're saying, right? So it's important to know what you're saying and how you present it. So, the love of God can only be understood in the proportion to how people understand you, right? And how much they want to listen to you. That's another aspect. How well they understand you. And number two, how, well, uh, how much they want to listen to you. So, as we do this, we pray that God will help us to present our best um, message that God, best way possible, the message God has for us. Let's pray. Father, as your word again is open, we do humbly ask for you to show us the best possible light way to present your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, because somebody read that, how are we to do all things? Because somebody read that please first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, in your Bibles. You eat or
1: drink, whatsoever you drink, do all
0: okay, what does that mean? That whatever you want. Do do
1: eat, drink, drink, or
0: whatsoever. Or whatsoever you do. Eat, drink, or do three things. So anything you do, you eating, you drink, or whatever you do, do all to what? God's glory. So look at a quotation here from the Spirit Prophecy. And um, it says, The very dress you wear will be a recommendation of the truth to unbelievers. It will be a sermon in itself, right? So I know we brought about dress last time, about different, whatever culture you're in, you need to adjust to the culture of the dress. Okay? But the point here is that whatever it is, you look tidy in doing it. Right, don't look sloppy. Don't look messy. But whatever you do, how you dress can make a recommendation of the truth to unbelievers. And it's a sermon how you dress. People go, you know why? Because people judge you up there. Whether you like it or not, before you even say a word, they're already judging you. They're looking how you act. They're looking if you even said hi to them to that day. <laughs> people just judge you of how before you even say a word. Uh, and so that's how the world thinks. And that's how, unfortunately, a lot of people will come to church who are visiting church, because that's how they're thinking. Um, Any thoughts on this, or um, ideas? Okay, so we must, how we dress or preach either good sermon or bad sermon to others, so we must dress tidy, and um, on Sabbaths we should wear our best for the Lord, right, the Lord gives us. Okay, look at John chapter 12, verse 32. Who is to be lifted up in our sermon? John chapter 12, verse 32. Can somebody read that please? Who should be I
1: from all to myself?
0: Okay. Who who is to be lifted up? Jesus. And this is referring to lifted up where? On the cross, right? And the cross reveals God would die for us, the love of God, right? So you're not to lift up yourself, right? Is that clear? I mean, we're not for to lift up ourselves. We're not to brag what we can do. We're not to make apologies so that if it doesn't go well, then they say, you know, that's why because, um, you know, I didn't have time to prepare my uh, my sermon because I was busy this week and making a long introductory of apologies. Do You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, you know, I uh, was a busy week. My dog ran away. My father passed away. Whatever it is. I mean, there's good reasons or whatever. But, we can't we shouldn't make excuses for whatever that happens on. All we need to do is go straight to and uplift Christ, right? But so we don't need to talk about ourselves and you don't need to talk about your bad week you had and everyone has had a bad week, right? so So what's new? you don't want to bring people down by talking about your bad week and the problems you had and the discouragement you went through. all what we need to do is uplift Christ and talk about God's love revealed to the word of God. What do you think? Yeah, okay, so, Look at, um, this is a quotation from Ellen White here in your handouts. It says, many speakers waste their time and strength in long, what? Preliminaries and what? Excuses. Too long. Some use nearly half an hour in making apologies. I mean, that's extreme. Thus, time is wasted, and when they reach the subject and try to fasten the point of truth in the minds of the hearers, the people are wearied out and cannot see their force. Uh, we need to preach the love of God. We need to get to the point, right? People are tired. They're coming to church. They're busy week. They have some problems. And then you're going to talk about your problems. It doesn't work. You have to focus on Christ and his love, right? And get to the point already. Just start your sermon already. You don't have to go into preliminaries and excuses and apologies. Any thoughts on this? What do you think? Sounds good? Any ideas? Huh? Okay you see the importance of that, right? You don't want that to happen. So uh, Matthew six verse two, what, when hypocrites minister, what do they do? Matthew chapter six verse two. And you tell me what it's saying here. Matthew chapter six verse two. What did the Pharisees, the religious leaders, do in their time? So, what do hypocrites do? What do they do? da da, da, da. <laughs> I'm here! Look what I did! <laughs> so, da-da-da-da! <laughs> Look at me, right? I mean, is Christ being lifted up if he's doing that? Oh, by the way, you know, I gave $1,000 to um, Salvation Army this week, and, you know, I praise God for what I did. <laughs> and I, mean, I mean, does that go good in God's house? So you don't want da-da-da-da blow the trumpet, right, whatever you're doing. So in the same way, when you're up there, you're not to draw attention to yourself. I mean, as much as possible, it's not about me or you up there. And I'm talking to myself. You have to make sure that whatever you're doing, you want to lead people to Christ and his love, right? And uh, if anything, be vulnerable to show that you're weak also and you can fall too. You know, if you tell if I tell a story, I'm going to tell about a story. Hey, I was, I was there with you. I went to Gaza too, you know. That's not building me up. That's showing me that, hey, I'm just like you. I'm going to fall. I've been there. I've tasted it. There's nothing there for me. I made that mistake. And even as a minister, I've been to Gaza. I've fallen. And um, so me being transparent, that's not lifting me up. That's showing that, hey, I'm just like you. I fell spiritually. As a religious leader, I fell. And so um, you need to be transparent out there also. But don't blow your trumpet up there. Whatever you do, don't blow your trumpet. People get turned off by that. I mean, you know, people can. You may not think it, and you may be subtle in trying and trying to doing it, but people are pretty sharp today, and they can read you, and they can tell if you want if you're blowing your trumpet on a lot. Right. Um, another thing, also in blowing your trumpet is that um, you must share from your heart and be genuinely excited and touch. In other words, and also, don't be putting on a show up there like you're entertaining the people and like. You know, just like, just running around and acting crazy up there. And this is the quotation I want to share with you. Oh, by the way, don't go the other extreme and be boring and just stay at the desk either. And, I mean, it's okay to stay at the desk, but don't be this boring and just read your sermon the whole time. Because we're going to go into that later. But I want to talk about, the, there's, there's two ditches, right? There's one ditch on the right, and there's a ditch on the left. And everything in Christianity, Satan has counterfeits on both sides. So we must stay down the middle of the road, right? What do you say, right? Amen. So stay in the middle of the road. So in the middle of the road is not to get overboard. So what it says here, there are also fanatical ministers, do you see your handout, who in attempting to preach Christ, storm, halloo, jump up and down. You ever seen people do this? Pound the desk before them as if this bodily exercise profited anything. The Bible says bodily exercise profited little, right? The Bible says. Such antics lead no force to the truths uttered, but on the contrary, disgust men and women of calm judgment and elevated views. So what does it do? It makes people who are calm judgment what? Disgusted, right? Do yeah, do you see that? Okay. And then there's another class that addressed the people in a what? Like a whining, like whining tone. Um, such a course does not exalt the gospel ministry, but brings it down and degrades it. There's a speaker that uh, I like his content so much. It's so powerful. I mean, it's this deep. I just I, I very listen, rarely listen to speakers. Like maybe one or two speakers I really like, or two or three like that. And he's one of them. But here's the problem. In in attempting to become like like he's touched, or like he's crying, it's almost like he, he's trying to create it, he begins to whine, like, don't you want to love? Like, it's whining. And you know what? It's irritating. <laughs> but his message is so powerful that I'm willing to ignore the whining for the, um, for the message. But my wife, she can't handle it. She don't want to listen to him anymore. She just cannot listen to him. But I will force myself, I mean, I can ignore it, you know, because the message is so powerful that, I was willing to listen to that whining for the message, but most people would not do it. My wife would not listen to him anymore. You know how powerful he is. Do you know what I'm talking about? In other words, your message can be good, but if your presentation is not good, it can turn people off, right? And that's why we're going to learn today: your presentation and how to present is very crucial. What do you think? Thoughts, ideas? Huh? Important. It is important. Very good. You don't
1: want to be going too fast and mumbling or saying stuff where everyone's like, what? Huh? Yeah. Right. You want to
0: make sure that they get the full meaning of it in the way that you mean it. You know, it has to be the Spirit going through Amen. You're right on, actually. We're actually going to get there. You guys are right on the same track, actually. That's good. We're on the same page. So, and you know, the stuff I'm presenting is common sense, really, when you think about it. It's not like I'm, we're studying stuff like, Oh wow! This is very simple, and this is the way Christ taught. And the principles you bring it out is really what you already know. But we're just going to make sure that it's laid out um, so you understand. Okay, so let's go to Luke chapter nine, verse eleven and fourteen. To how many people did Jesus speak to? We're going to look at another aspect, and this is something that's pretty powerful. I never heard of this before, but I'm going to share this with you. Luke chapter nine, verse eleven and fourteen. How many people did Jesus speak to? Could somebody read that, please? Okay, they followed him, and he spoke unto them, right? He preached messages to them. In verse 14, can you read that again? How many people were there? how much men were there when Jesus preached into 5,000 five okay, five men now how much women you think were there 5,000 yeah. men about, about 5,000 okay so you say about 5,000 right that's fair it could be single guy, it could be single girls so. though okay so can we say about equal so 5,000 plus 5,000 how much 10,000 Ten thousand. do you think there are any children if there okay no. <laughs> very good <laughs> So you know there's children, right? So you got at least, say, one children per couple, or maybe two, the average is two in America today. So can we just say there's two per couple? So, uh, well, even if we say there's one per couple, that would come out to 15,000, right? Say there were couples. Um, I'm sure there was more. But at least 15,000 people. Now, was Jesus inside of a building at that time, with acoustics and everything? Where Where was he? Was that good acoustics? No. Okay, that's number one. Now, um, did he have a PA system, microphone system, powerful um, speakers and amplifiers like that? Did he have that? Didn't, my question is how in the world did they hear him? Well, it wasn't Sermon on the Mount, so it was up a little bit. Okay. Okay, good. I mean, he did use, you know, you know God does make natural amphitheaters in some areas. Okay, good, good. Okay, but he's at the beach too a lot. You know, the sea of Gal- the sea. I mean, the sea of Galilee. And so, how many been to the beach, and the, how the waves are crashing? Is that pretty? And it absorbs the sounds, huh? Here's something that's pretty powerful. I learned. Uh, Jesus knew how the human body worked, and he knew how to use it to the full potential. And he knew how to use something called the diaphragm. You ever heard of that before? The diaphragm. And professional singers know this. Those who are speakers, professional orators, they know about this. And I'm going to show you some quotations that's pretty powerful from Ellen White. She talks about using your diaphragm. Now, I'm going to try and teach you today how to use your diaphragm. And because I'm going to show you the importance first off it, and then we're going to how to use it. And I have some diaphragm exercises. But it says here, you should, use, you should take a full inspiration in your stomach and let the action come from what kind of muscles? Abdominal muscles. Very good. Do you see that? Let the lungs be only the what? Channel. It's not where the the source comes from. Your lungs is only the channel. Do not depend upon them to do the work. Don't depend on your lungs. Don't use your lungs when you're preaching. That's a mistake of many people today. If you let your words come from deep down, exercise the abdominal muscles, you can speak to how much? thousands with just as much ease as you can speak to what? Ah, you can, that's how Jesus did it. He uses diaphragm. Secret. Next quotation. Uh, Ministers should stand erect and speak slowly, firmly, and distinctly, taking a full inspiration of air at each, every sentence, and throwing out the words by exercising the abdominal muscles. You throw it out. Um, I've used this technique. I, don't, I have a weak diaphragm, by the way. I don't have a strong diaphragm, and so, uh, but I use it. I know how to use it. Where I'm at a beach and we're out like 100 feet in the water, and I've learned how to use my diaphragm. Where people out there said they heard me clearly, every word I said when I was baptizing someone. I've, when the waves are crashing and this out there, and then I've learned how to use it. And that's why it's good for you to learn how to use it too. So when you get stand up, everybody stand up right now. And I'm going to teach you how to use a diaphragm the correct way. So, growing up playing, like, say, playing sports. When I'm running down the court and I finish running or I finish running, I come out the court and I'm playing and I, I, just, I just finish making a point and you come back and it's time out and you go, I used to breathe like this all the time. I used to go. Do you, do you notice that? Right? You guys know, you ever done that before? You breathe like that? Like, oh. Wrong. Wrong way. Where am I breathing from? Yeah. My chest. I'm using my lungs. Totally wrong. And I've, I've learned, I didn't know that was the wrong way. I didn't know there was the right way for breathing and the wrong way of breathing. The correct way of breathing is to what muscles? To abdominal. Where's abdominal? Is that chest? Where's that? Down. Ah. So when I breathe now, guess what? I breathe out. I breathe in, it go, my stomach goes out. I breathe out, my stomach goes in. <sighs> you have to totally relearn how to breathe. But I'm telling you, if you know how to use this, God, you can use your voice in a powerful way. All the people, the great speakers that I know, like Henry Wright, he only has one lung, but when he does, he knows how to use his diaphragm. One lung. Yeah, how's that? Whoa. He has one lung. And the doctor said he produces like 120% capacity, but a human produces like only uses 10% of their lungs or whatever. He has more power in his one lung than he has in us, we have in two lungs because he works his abdominal muscles. And this is what a lot of our speakers, uh, they used to have, but very few people know how to use this anymore. So if you know how to use the abdominal muscle, practice breathing. I've learned it came to a point where I naturally breathe through my stomach now when I'm breathing. You know that? It's normal already. I, I've relearned how to. I've unlearned the wrong way, and I've relearned the right way. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you have to you have to build your abdominal muscles because you don't, we naturally have weak muscles. So this is abdominal diaphragmatic breathing exercises. You can do it lying down, and what I do is you can do it lying down, sitting down, or standing up. I do it standing up. My devotions in the morning when I'm outside, I will breathe. Uh, okay. I breathe in, my stomach goes out. Watch my stomach go, and then I tense my stomach muscles, and I slowly push it in and up. That's what I of "In and up." So, and I blow out a little bit slowly. Do you see that? So my stomach goes out when I breathe, and I tense it, and then I push it in slowly, and I push out air slowly. I've been doing that, you know I forgot about this. I'm so glad for this classes because I'm relearning. I'm mean, getting back into it again. Because I realize I need to rebuild my muscles because I'm not been used. So even like today, I'm like, I have to purposely focus on, because I use both my lungs and my, uh, my diaphragm, but I'm pushing when I'm preaching, but I'm focusing more on this, using my diaphragm more uh, when I'm preaching. And then you know what happens? Your voice comes out strong and powerful. And then that God takes your voice as it comes out strong and it grabs it, the Holy Spirit, and it just hits the people's heart with conviction stronger. That's what he wants to do with your voice. And Jesus spoke with his diaphragm, Ellen White said. He uses diaphragm out there. He's able to speak to thousands. Um, and also, when you're up there, you speak more power when you do that. So let's try it again. Ready? Breathe in with your stomach. Push in. Tense it and Push in and push up, 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 do you feel that? So you go in and then up, tucking up, okay? Breathe out, breathe in, I mean, tense, push in, breathe out, up. I took music, I took voice lessons also, and this is actually how my music teacher used to teach me how to build up my muscles for singing also. So it's going to help you with your singing, it's going to help you with your preaching in all aspects gonna help you in your speaking. Um, it's good practice. So practice this. Do this like um, ten times. They say you can read this. You say you can put a book on the heavy book and push it in and up. Okay, so try that. That'd be exercise for preaching. Sounds good? Okay, let me see that. Okay, very good. So this is a homework. Practice your breathing, the diaphragmatic breathing and exercises. I do it like ten times, very slowly, and that gives me um, because I'm, I'm trying to build up my muscles now uh, for like, speaking engagements and such. So. so. I'm sure it's going to be good for you. Okay. Now, how did they read the law of God? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8 in your Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Could somebody read that, please? How did they read the law of God? Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8.
1: Go ahead. in the book of the law of
0: this Okay, how did they read the law of God? The Bible says. What does say? Distinctly. Do you see that? So the Bible says that they read the law of God distinctly. And they gave the sense The meaning, right? And cause them to what? Understand the reading. In other words, they read in a way that they were able so distinctly that they were able to understand what was read, right? So that's how the law of God was read. It was very distinctly read. So um, when you are preaching the same way the word of God, it should be spoken so distinctly that the people understand, right, what you're saying. This is exactly what you're exactly what you're saying we're saying. So you're on the same track where are hit it. So let those, look at the quotation, let those in labor in word and doctrine strive to perfect themselves in the use of language, right? Now notice what it says. He Jesus, he, Jesus, did not speak so rapidly that his words were crowded one upon another in such a way that it made it difficult to understand him. He distinctly enunciated, how many words? Every word. Every word. Distinctly, Jesus distinctly enunciated, Every word. He pronounced it perfectly. And those who heard his voice bore the testimony that never man spake like what? This man. Okay, so you see that, the importance. Now, go ahead the next quotation. Some ministers have acquired a habit of hurriedly rattling off what they have to say as though they had a lesson to repeat and were hasting through it as fast as possible. This is not the best manner of speaking. By using proper care, every minister can educate himself to speak distinctly and impressively, not to hurriedly crowd the words together without taking time to breathe. He should speak in a moderate manner that the people may get the ideas fixed in their minds as he passes along. But when the matter is rushed through so rapidly, the people cannot get the points in their minds, and they do not have the time to receive the impression that is important for them to have, nor the time for truth to affect them as it otherwise would. So don't rush through it. Speak clearly, distinctly. Um, I need to share my testimony. You know, growing up in Hawaii, I, and I went to, you know, I learned, I really learned pidgin English really heavily. And so when I went to, I really went that direction. I mean, uh, my home was English and a little pidgin, and my, my parents used it both on and off, especially when friends came to speak a lot of pidgin. But I was able to turn it on up, but I really loved the way the Pigeon language, so I really went to really pidgin English. I mean, people even born in Hawaii couldn't even understand me. That's just how my Pigeon was, really strong. And then I went away to college on the mainland. So he, And guess what? I took speech class of all classes. So here I am on the mainland, and okay, I have in mind, I'm not going to speak pidgin. I'm going to speak good English in the speech class. So I spoke good English as best as I could, and then the students evaluated me. And then I got one back, a paperback from one of the students, and she said, it's a very good talk, but I couldn't understand your accent. <laughs> she said, In other words, she couldn't understand a word I had to say. Because, and I was thinking I was speaking very good English. Can you imagine that? But yet, she couldn't understand what I was trying to say. I mean, you guys met people who speak in pidgin, and you're like, what are you saying? Have you ever met somebody like that in Hawaii? Okay, so that's how it was. And, and But this is not something who's... This is someone who's trying to speak good English, realizing that I don't want to speak pidgin in this um, college on the mainland, especially, right? So God really... Um, you know, God really... He's brought me a long way, because now... People want to if I'm even from Hawaii sometimes, right? I I'd really try and... I try and speak as good as I can. Of course, I like, got a little bit of pigeon comes in once in a while, throw out a word here or there or an accent. You can hear it a little bit. If you, you know me, you can hear my pigeon. Um, but I try to speak as good as I can. Um, I have to, I, taking this class again helps me to remind me that I have to speak for everybody. And everyone, even people who speak pigeon in Hawaii, they understand good English because everybody watches TV and they speak, you know, pretty good English or slang on, in television in Hollywood. So that's why that's the common language is Hollywood language and so I learned that I need to speak so everyone can understand and those who speak pidgin they can understand my English if I speak well too so that's why I focus on that and I'm taking this actually preparing this lesson helping me realize that I need to pronunciate and enunciate my words more clearly than even how I do it currently. So I know that I need to grow. actually this class this areas I need to grow so I know I've been working my diaphragm again this last couple of months. Preparing the lessons, I know I need to enunciate my words even more clearly. I shouldn't rush my preaching and get too fast, but slow it down. And I need to pause at certain times to let the truth sink in. Also, right to you, um, you know, like in Hawaii, like it goes one the alphabet and the numbers go one, two, what? what's what's up to two? But in Hawaii it's not three, it's three. Do you guys notice that? That's Hawaii, that's the culture. So I say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So that's like a little bit slang. So you have to realize that that's, what how we, that's how people in Hawaii speak. So I purposely go, now I go, okay, one, two, depends who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone in the mainland, I'm saying, yeah, I want, yes, I would like to have 300 of those, please. You know, I throw, I throw in the three. Or like in Hawaii, they don't say throw. Okay, I, I throw the ball. Throw. There's no H in Hawaii in Pigeon. You take out the H and everything, except for Honaka of course. But <laughs> but when it was after a T, you take out the H. So when I'm speaking to somebody from, that's why it's always it's weird because I'm calling somebody from like HPM, and if it's a local guy, then I consciously say, take out the H. <laughs> yeah, like, can I have three hundred? Okay, and so. <laughs> It is like I speak differently to, you know, different people. But like when I'm preaching, you have to speak to the crowd and people understand English more than any other language. Now if you're in, you in no, know, if you in Japan, you got to speak you know, you want to speak as much as you can that their language. Even if you can't speak the language, if I sp- like I'm speaking in a corner Hispanic church, I like to give an introduction in Spanish because I want them you no, know, at least to feel like I am interested a little bit in their language, right? At least an introduction or happy sabino in Spanish or Hispanic and you know, you want to get as close to the, the culture. But you got to speak clearly and not your words. Any thoughts, ideas? What do you think? It's good? So this is a challenge. Uh, some of us are going to have a more challenge with this. <laughs> in your speaking, um, like I did. But with God, you can do all things, right? What do you think? What do you say? Amen? Amen? Okay. So you can do it. Any other thoughts? Okay, John 7, verse 46. What did Jesus' enemies confess about how Jesus spoke? John 7, verse 46. We're looking at the life of Jesus and how he spoke. That was pretty powerful. Seven forty oh, six. Seven. Yeah, breath of life, huh? Yeah.
1: breath of life said English dialects, half a dozen. That's
0: amazing.
1: He can talk to the Northeastern English, he can go to a Midwestern. Oh,
0: wow!
1: Uh, Western, (laughs) you know, uh, slant. He can talk like a black person.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I give him credit because I only know one English. (laughs) I'm pigeon. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Praise God. Amazing. That's good.
1: And he does it with humor. Everybody gets it, it, it you know, but he's very capable of doing that.
0: Well, I didn't know that. That's yeah. good. Yeah, it's good to know that. Um, it's, it's good. It's good to be able to speak. You know, if you just know Pigeon, it's good to speak English too, you know. It's, but you need to speak, you need to speak good English for everyone that's in the United States, you know, and you gotta use it for wherever wherever you may be at. But you gotta learn the basic English, a good English, as best as you can when you're speaking. Okay, go ahead, Mark.
1: Never man speak like
0: Okay. So what did they say about Jesus? no spoke like What does that mean?
1: That means he talked with an authority that no other man could talk like that.
0: Okay, good. Very good. He spoke with authority. That's one good error. What else do you think? What else, other areas you think that he, um, that he spoke? When you say he said spoke like no other man, what does that mean? He what? He spoke like everyone else? Or he what? He spoke what? He clarity. clarity. Did he speak like everyone else? Is that what it's saying here? No. He spoke what? Like no, one else. Like. like no one else. So, in other words, he spoke totally different from anyone else who preached before, right? So, what was it? He spoke with authority. With clarity, what else? What do you think? Powerful. Huh? Powerful. Powerful. What else? He spoke to the heart. He spoke to the heart. Okay. What else? Okay, because let me read that quotation here. The teachings of Christ. The teachings of Christ were His voice was Okay, stop. His voice was what? Melodious. Okay, what does melodious mean to you? What does that mean? Inflection. Okay, what does inflection mean?
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Melodious comes from the word what? Melody. A melody line is what? Goes up and down. Yeah. The musical scale. It seems
1: that that's good only when it's applied to class, otherwise it class. Uh, it's this class.
0: Oh. It's
1: the The music is like the melody
0: of the music. Oh. like agnostic. Oh. But the Bible does say Christ is our example, right? Yeah. In other words, we should copy everything he does, right? Yeah. We agree? So if he did it, we should use that also in a way. In other words, we shouldn't... How did the Pharisees speak like we learned the last time? What? They, how did they speak according to what we learned before? Do you remember what? how they spoke? We learned it the last time. So
1: monotone,
0: monotone. like. Du du da du like I have used my diaphragm whenever I had to address people with no microphone.
1: Because it's a melodious mu way of speaking which are very dangerous, like the Jesuits when they speak. When you, you hear some very good academic questions can be very captivating, very interesting, very melody. But it's like it's
0: between the you mean the other um, The the Jesuit system, they very, uh, they're, they're not into melody. They're, they're more into like the Gregorian chants. is yeah. very monotone. The Catholic way of singing is very, and the Catholic way of teaching, even the Jesuit system, was very monotonous. The,
1: Yeah. You've a yeah. like
0: a, yeah. The system in the Jesuit system is repetitiveness, monotone, um, reflecting of other men's thoughts. In other words, you just memorize what I tell you, and that's a lot of our educational system, and you cram for your test and you take the test. It's not a critical thinking where you think, you be a thinker and not a, a mere reflective of other man's thoughts. That's the Jesuit system of education. And, um, well, look at what it says here in this quotation: "The teachings of Christ were impressive and solemn." Look at, it says here, "His voice was what melodious." And then it says not only his voice, but what does it say about us? A- and should not what? We as well as what? Christ, Christ. Christ. what? What's that word? Melody, of Melody what? Yeah. Ah. So not only was Christ's melodious voice good, inspiration says, but also we ourselves, like Christ, should also study. Now, study means that you shouldn't just, okay, read it and, okay, i apply it. It says study, in other words, really pry into it and dig down deep how to have melody, where? In Christ's voice, it says? No, in our own voices. Do you see that? So you should practice, you should study, you should um, learn how to have melody in our voices. And okay, notice how the rabbis had it in those days. Some read the next one, his voice, Christ's voice. Okay, so how did the rabbi, the teachers speak? They had what kind of, a melodious voice or what? Monotonous tones. tones. And Christ had a what? As music to the ears. In other words, he was up and down. When he's speaking, he's speaking up, he's speaking down. You know, he goes up and down. It's not like, it's not flat, like rap music flat, you know. Chanting in Hawaiian to the gods is monotonous, you know. Gregorian chants, a Catholic church very monotonous, it's all monotonous, that's, the, the, that's hypnotic, that's hypnotic to you, but to have a melody in your voice, I try and speak with melody, I get down, I go up, it's like, it's like, it's like a song, you're, you're preaching a song, if I'm just preaching a straight, you know, if I'm this, the voice is a great power, and yet many have not trained their voices in such a way that they may be used, you ever had teachers in high school that just kind of taught that way? You know, put you to sleep? That's not the way Christ taught. That's not the way Christ preached. He had melody in his voice. This is crucial. You must have. Next quotation. The beauty of his countenance, the loveliness of his character, above all, listen to this, the love expressed in what? Look and tone. Look and tone. In other words, they felt his love in how he looked at people when he looked at people in their eye and he looked at people, they could tell that he loved them, right? In his tone, how he modulated his voice and made a melody in his voice, they could tell that he loved them. Do you see that? It says here, look and tone. When I read this quote before, I was like, wow, this is so powerful, like Christ. And listen to this. It says, the love expressed in look and tone drew to him all who were not hardened in unbelief. Had it not been for the sweet, sympathetic spirit that shone out in every look and word, he would not have attracted the Lord's congregation that he did. So what was it that attracted congregations when he preached? It was his his tone tone of his voice and what else? His what? Okay, through what? How he looked and what he said. Do you see that? any thoughts. You hit it right on. People, you know, today, honestly, I was like, oh man, my sermon, um, let me share a trick to the trade when I'm up there. You know this texts I use? I only had three texts today. I normally preach at least nine, ten texts. I have you look up together. And one of the reasons why I have that is because that's my escape. Because I can only handle being free-spirited up there for so long. I run out of things to say. So I have to, and then you're staring at me too long, I'm like, let's get back to the Word and distract to the Word, you know. Get that, honestly, that's how I'm thinking up there. Like, I only can go free-spirited for so long. So let's go back to the Word, turning me into, so I go to like 9, 10 texts. Now you don't want to go 20, I've seen people go, I'm serious, I've seen sermons, 40 to 50 texts you want you to look up in one sermon. How many of you guys have been to that kind of sermons before? too Much. Um, I use nine as my magic number. I go three, three, three. Okay, that's nine. I go 10, 11, maybe. Today I had three. So, what I'm going to do between three texts? I mean, you look at one text and now like I got to fill in the whole time between the next time you look away from me and look at the Bible. I mean, that's what, that's how I'm feeling up there. So, but I praise God there where um, um, I had stuff to say in between. God worked it out, and um, I, I was scared that I was going to read my notes. But, like you said, you can't read your notes. You have to be more real and um, this share from your heart was really, because there is stuff in there. And today I realized that, oh, there is stuff deep in my heart that I need to share that I didn't think I had. But a lot of stuff I said was not in my sermon. It just wasn't there. And I think that does better. People can relate more. You're more real. If you're just preaching and reading word for word, then people can't relate so much um, until you break it off and start sharing from um, being real and sharing transparency. Do you see that? So when you're up there, you don't want to be reading your notes. Bad idea. I, I think you become monotonous. I think uh, there's no freedom with the Holy Spirit. Thoughts? What do you think? What do you say? Yeah. Amen. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. All of us. Huh? Yeah. Amen. You know what, people, we live in a day today that people want to see transparency and realness. If you can show it, they're more interested in you sharing from your heart than you giving the most, um, most beautiful and flowery speech that they ever, ever heard. If they can hear it from your heart, it's it really powerful. Yeah. Okay, let's go to John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. John chapter 6, verse 28 to 29. So what did they say? What was it that Jesus said needed to happen before they would be able to work the works of God? let someone read that. They said to him, "What shall we do that
1: we may work the works of God?" Jesus answered and said to them, "This is the work
0: of God, and you believe in them to Okay, in order to work the works of God, okay, they want to work the works of God. Now, do you want to see mighty now? Do you want to see mighty miracles in this church happen in the Honokah Church? Do you want to? Okay. So, you want that. You want to see mighty miracles in your life? Yeah. Do You want to see mighty miracles in your family, your neighbors, your workers, everything? You do, okay. So, you want to see these mighty miracle works of God? What do you need to do? Work? Do you need to actually work the works of God? Is that what it's saying here? Is that what it's saying? You need to work the works of God. In order to work the works of God, you need to work the works of God. Is that what it's saying right there? Oh, okay. What does that say? Ah. So what is all you need to do? You need to what? You need to believe. And if you believe, guess what's going to happen? That belief is going to create the works of God in you, right? That's the letting the word of God accomplish what it says it will do in your life, right? That's the power of God. But not only that, when you're preaching, if you believe what you're saying, there's going to be, you're going to see the work of God in people's hearts that are listening to you, right? True? Dependent upon how much you believe. In other words, if you don't believe, in what you're saying up there, do you think people are going to see it or feel it? Yeah? If you hear somebody who's speaking up there and then you know they believe it, are you going to feel that message? Are you going to experience something different in your life if you see they believe it? Yeah? Yeah,
1: but sometimes when somebody's up there, you can also tell them, yeah, they went to write a good sermon and somehow in the delivery of it, they got it. They got. They got it. All of a sudden, you can see the Holy Spirit coming through, uh, and they—it's like yeah, they wrote it. They—they they did the works. They were doing the steps one, two, three, and all of a sudden, like sometimes when you're, you know, teaching or sharing something with somebody, all of a sudden you have an epiphany, and all of a sudden you get it. You yeah. understand what 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 the deeper meaning of it was. That the Holy Spirit meant to the
0: through. Amen. Amen. That's good, Loy. Like. That's pretty, That's a powerful experience. I mean, actually to see people, actually get converted through their own sermons. You know, praise God. Amen. I've seen, I've seen
1: teachers learn from their own Amen. lessons that they were teaching people. Amen. Because all of a sudden, I mean, you know, you're you're reading it and it's like, oh, uh, oh yeah, that's what. I mean, sometimes I've seen people that are doing the Sabbath school class. Amen. And the way somebody answers a question or something out, and you know, with those sitting around, you know that everybody just got saved.
0: Amen. Amen. And that's how it should be. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. It's good you see that. Hmm. Any other thoughts on this? What do you think? It kind of goes back to the
1: you, monotony. Because if you don't believe in what you're talking about, they are not going to
0: have a passion for it, so it's not going to come through in your voice. Ah. See, and he, you hit it right on. Like, okay, we know we need to have melody in our voice and not be monotonous. We know we need to be excited about everything. But my question is, um, can you, here's the danger. You cannot, even though you know you need it, you cannot artificially create that excitement. Does that make sense? right? You cannot artificially create, I know, I mean, you can, I need to take that back, you can artificially create an excitement and passion and uh, melody in your voice, but you know what? I think people are pretty sharp enough that they can see it or sense it. Especially if they've seen transparency for a while, people can see like, hold oh, that. they can see that you're creating it, you're making it up, it's not real, it's a mask, it's fake, right? And it's not real being transparent. It's not you're not really excited. You're creating a artificial excitement, um, and you're yelling and screaming and um, trying to create that excitement. Does that make sense to you? I mean, do you do you know what I'm talking about? Like I can, not to say all the time, but majority of time I can sense with somebody's like, I mean, it's so clear. Isn't it? it's, it's either we really like, come on, they're, they're faking. They're not they're not really meaning, but they're trying to create an excitement because it's not really gripped their heart in. So you know what I'm talking about, right? So you hit it right on. It's not that God is asking, okay, you need to have melody as a method. You need to have, uh, be uh, excited about it as a method. But more so, if you really had your heart to truly believe in that, that's the natural result of truly believing or getting excited and having melody. Does that make sense? It's not like methods, we're not looking at methodology. It's kind of like the gospel. You got reason from cause to effect this is only the symptoms of what how you what you if you really believe in god you will naturally have the melody you'll naturally have the excitement do you see that it's kind of like if you really are converted you will have the fruits of love of obedience to god's commandments it's not like you're trying to be obedient to prove that i am converted that's what a lot of christians do right they try to um, love their brother and force themselves to love others to prove or to actually earn the salvation or say, God, I am so I am saved. But no, you, you're saved, and because you are saved, then you naturally will then love your brother. You naturally will um, keep the Sabbath day holy. Do you see that? So it goes from cause to effect. The same thing happens when you're preaching. If you really believe, then you will naturally get excited. You'll naturally have medley. So in other words, you've got to have an experience with God. It comes back to the first study we had, which was having a time alone in devotions in the morning, spending time with God. Let, that, let consecration to God be your first work, right, we're told. So, self is strong. The greatest enemy is myself. So I'm constantly battling with him. Every morning I wake up, it's a new battle. I may have had a very spiritually high day the day before, but I can't depend upon my spirituality yesterday for today, right? You know that. I haven't even had the best powerful experience. This this week, I remember a whole lot powerful experience one night. Um, I actually, Wednesday night, I went up to Kohala, thinking it was a school board meeting. I found out it wasn't this week, it next week. I'm like, oh, I drove all the way up here, nothing. And the normal response, like, what a waste of time. You know, I feel frustrated. I wasted all this time to drive, like three hours just in driving. Then I said, no, God brought you here for a reason. And I said, okay, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. And I saw the light on in the classroom. And then I, okay, so I went in the classroom and one of the teachers, and I ended up talking to the teacher for two and a half hours. We just talked about spiritual things and uh, how God's working in her life and some of the church members up there. And to me, that was like, it was such a blessing. It was such a blessing to me. And I was so excited um, that God had led in that direction. And um, so you have to be open to the Holy Spirit and how he leads and, um, and how he works in our lives. Okay, so look at, um, look at the quotations here. The example of an energetic and an energetic person is far-reaching what kind of person energetic. okay energetic okay he has an what electric, power. electric what power. power what over others ah is that a powerful quotation I mean I read that quotation like that's powerful not somebody who's not energetic it says energetic So, naturally, wow, what's an energetic person look like to you? I mean, just like, oh, excited, right, excited. Now, not as a way to, again, artificially create it, but if you, we talked about, like, you know, in the Super Bowl, right, you see people get excited. You probably get excited. You probably scream or whatever, right, in the past. Whoever, how many of you ever screamed at a Super Bowl once in your whole life? Let me see your hands. Come on. Own up. Never did or just go whoo like that or, or any or a sports game or anything like that any sports game no soccer or something else okay you got excited okay I see you get excited by the way <laughs> so <laughs> but that's sports, huh? but anyway to see that excitement so people have gotten excited you gotten excited right at some time in, excited but what then holding back for something if you really believe in something and is not the gospel something to get excited about? I mean, is it not? The gospel, it should be get excited about. Now, it should get outside of our comfort zones where we should get excited. I mean, I've heard, I think I heard all of you guys to some point get excited about something. I've seen you enough in, in your own situations in your home um, where I've, or personally where I've seen you get excited about something. I'm, I know so. So can you not also get excited about Something that should be the most excitable thing in the world, which is the love of God, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that powerful? But huh? you could
1: almost read the example of an
0: enthusiastic person with far reaching. Because enthusiast in Greek where you mean full of the spirit of God. Enthusiasm and uh uh-huh. full of the spirit of God. Very good. So you're excited about the example this example of an enthusiastic person with far reaching. Oh yeah. Energetic, it says. Oh, and, and replace it. Oh, okay. That's good. And really, what, sh- again, is not artificial, but it's the spirit of God, right? So, I'm not, this is not a class. Again, you're not hanging fruits of obedience on top of you to prove you've been saved, like the gospel, right? Because you have been saved and have the love of God, you have the fruits automatically, right? So, the same way you're not. This is not methodology, okay, speak this way, look this way, act this way in order to be effective. No, no, that's human method. What I'm saying is that this is the fruits. Same way we teach the Ten Commandments. I'm only teaching the Ten Commandments, not for you to do them, to reveal to you, if you surrender to God, what your life will look like if you have been surrendered to God. So the same thing, this is what your life should look like when you're preaching, when you have um, truly have an experience with God. Does that make sense? So, if you have an experience with God, this is the fruit you should have when you're preaching. That's what it's saying. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, good. Okay, so next quotation. Pretty powerful. Uh, talk about Christ now. Can somebody read that, please? Okay, now look at his face. Now we want to look at how Christ did it. How did Christ do it? Now it says here that his eyes were lighted up with unutterable. In other words, his eyes were lighted up. Like his eyes, balls, move. His eyes lighted up and he had, right? You see the expression there? And then it says here, the heavenly expression upon his content. In other words, Christ had an uh, expression upon his face, gave meaning to what? Every word uttered. Every word uttered. In other words, his facial expressions worked with every word he spoke. Do you see that? So he spoke, he got, a, he, I mean, he got like, he raised his eyeball. He wrote a smile. He got focused. He got solemn. He got stern. He got rebuked. I mean, he just, he used his full facial expressions when he did it. He smiled. He used everything possible in combination with the right word and how he presented his message. I and mean, that is a master teacher and master preacher. Do you see that? That's the master and we should follow his example. I thought, I mean, there's so much, when we study the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, there's so much that Christ did that in his methods and how he met people that we can follow in his example to help us improve upon to be better presenters, right? Do you see that? Any thoughts on this? Any ideas? Is that good? Okay. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 20. What did Peter and John say to the rulers in Israel? Acts chapter 4, verse 20 in your Bibles. It's going exactly what we've been going on. Can somebody read that, please? Okay, they said, you better stop speaking. And what did they say? What did, was their answer? They said you cannot speak, and they said we cannot but speak. In other words, you cannot stop. us. why? Now, what is it that would make them break the law that they sh- of not speaking? What was it they said that gave the, that made them that they couldn't stop but speak? What did they say? We cannot but speak. What?
1: Experience.
0: Ah, they had what experience when you see something. You heard something with your own eyes, your own ears. And then they say, they're trying to tell you what you've seen and heard. In other words, what you experience is not true and stop talking about it. They say, but we cannot because we've experienced it. In other words, when you experience the love of God in your life and God in your life, you cannot but express it with excitement. No matter what someone says, so no matter if they say, you better stop speaking, you're going to say, I cannot but speak. Why? Because that's my experience, right? And that's what you need to share. Your experience your experience must overcome fear 90% of people who are preaching they're afraid up there and you know what fear hinders the love of God from shining through to the people fear hinders you from being transparent to the people in other words fear is like a like a veil between you and the people and if you take away that fear then the love will shine through, right? And uh, perfect love casts out fear. And you got to get away to that fear of your life. Because what, you, what are you fearing when you're up there? I'm talking about being transparent, being real, getting excited. What are you being afraid of? And let's be honest, what are you being afraid about up there from being real and transparent with the people and them seeing your excitement? Because think about it. It's safe. Really, honestly, it's way more safe for you, in a sense, for you to read your sermon, right, and not mess up, then to get away from your sermon. and you, you, you fill it out for me. Fill in the blank. What are you afraid about? Huh? Stumbling over your words. Stumbling over your words. Okay. That's one. What else? Losing train, train of thought. Very good. Okay, good. Blank. Okay. No, well, let's go. Let's. let's go. Go. Comments. Okay, let's go back. So, um, stumbling upon your words, going blank. Now, m- what's the problem with that? What if, I, what if I stumble with my word up there? Who, who am I offending? Is it over already?
1: Yeah, we If I don't stop it now, we're not going to be able to
0: record it.